let's uh let's i think everything is working let's go ahead and and click on we got some facebook folks and some live joy martinez marshall is here who else do we need if joy's here i mean yeah we're ready to go guest list is full that's exactly right <laughs> man this is a pretty rare opportunity to like talk about joy when she can't really talk back to us and so this could be fun but we'll be we'll be kind <laughs> hey joy good to see you we are glad you're here well, welcome this morning, everybody, to our Truett Church Network webinar and podcast. We're glad you are joining us, whether you are joining us live or on Facebook or on a podcast later in the week. Uh, we're grateful for you today. Um, our guest today is one of Truett's own. Greg, when did you graduate from Truett? 2007. 2007. I knew we overlapped, but yeah, we were right there at the same time. Yep. Um, but Dr. Greg Mamala, Dr. Greg Mamala is, uh, well, Greg, I will let you introduce yourself. Um, sure. You're a Truett grad. That's obviously what matters, but you've done some yeah. other things in your life as well. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, I've got my Truett sticker right there on my bookshelf. All so, right. All right. Um, yeah. So I, I, my dad was um, military, grew up living all over the country and around the world actually lived in South Korea during late elementary school and junior high had a good time doing those sort of things um and so that was kind of my family roots were kind of rooted in, in, in that experience went to college uh at Williams Baptist College in northern Arkansas uh, a couple of other Truett alumni and I kind of all migrated in the early 2000s yeah. down to Truett had a good experience there um and then I, I went to Truett from 2004 to 2007, got my master's of divinity degree because basically I was told that uh, without one, you're just a highly educated volunteer in the church. And, uh, um, but it, it was a great experience, uh, broadened me uh, theologically, uh, certainly academically, uh, and helped me really see the larger church, um, not just the small version of the church that I had seen growing up. Um, and so that was kind of a cool experience. Yeah. And then after seminary, I got a job at First Baptist Church in North Platte, Nebraska, as the associate pastor, uh, serving with Tom Wiles. And uh, his son, John Wiles, yeah. and Amy Wiles are also Truett alumni. Yeah. And then um, Tom had gotten a master's degree from Baylor. So that was kind of the connection. Like how does somebody from Truett end up in Nebraska is because there were some Baylor connections there and uh, became his associate executive minister immediately after graduation and um, was there about five years. And then in 2011, well, 2010, we got a new uh, executive minister for our region. And then in 2011, they began a search process for a new associate exec and uh, was asked to apply to that. And it's worked out pretty well. I got the position. So I've been the, I currently am the associate executive minister and region missionary for the American Baptist Churches of Nebraska, which wow. makes for a really, really cool business card. Um, but really <laughs> just means I, long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it looks very cool. Um, but I, I basically, I, I work for the churches. I resource them. I do all kinds of stuff to help the local church be uh, the best uh, community that it can be in its context. And that's really where my heart is, is to help each local church uh, be the hands and feet of Christ in their space, in the way that God's leading them. And so that includes pastor uh, placement, um, conflict transformation, 
Um, I do clergy workshops uh, a couple times a year, either leading them myself or organizing them and bringing in outside speakers um, and a variety of other things the local church needs, uh, discipleship uh, kind of resources. And then in two, I don't even remember now, I graduated in 2018 from, from Northern Seminary with my doctor of ministry uh, in Jewish context of the New Testament with Dr. Scott McKnight. Had a great time doing that, and it really stretched me uh, immensely. And that's kind of where I am now. I've been been here at the region since, like I said, 2012, and um, 13, 14 years in Nebraska total. That's great. And I know from Truett's angle, uh, you and I reconnected since I came back mm -hmm. to Truett, and you're in your role. And we've just been very appreciative of you and, and Robin and others uh, within American Baptist Life that have come to us to uh, recruit some of our students looking to pastor, looking to serve. And I think we have two, at least, that I know of in Nebraska right now, Joy Martinez Marshalls at Lincoln, the first Lincoln, Nebraska, if I have that right, and Taylor Shippey at First Baptist Gibbon, Nebraska. And so we're thankful yeah. to- Also, uh, Caleb Lind is pastor okay. of First Baptist Church in, in Norfolk. Okay, see, um, I missed some. And so- And then um, myself. So we're four for sure and always yeah. looking to add more. No, it's, and it's been great opportunities. So we're thankful for that partnership as we, uh, true, it seeks to grow our partnership with American Baptists across the country. That's been uh, fruitful there in Nebraska. We hope it continues. And we're thankful for any of our alumni, but certainly you, Greg, for coming back to us and saying, uh, hey, send some more folks our way because we, we, we're appreciative. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, American Baptists is, you know, I mean, people can look up how they're distinct within the Baptist family, but um very small family. And so we've actually also helped Truett connect with other regions. So not just Nebraska, but yeah. there are Truett alumni all over American Baptist life. And uh, I'm glad to help build those bridges any way I can. That's great. Well, we're appreciative. Well, today we're here because Greg has written a book called Table Life, if you can see it there, An Invitation to Everyday Discipleship, an excellent author doing these uh, podcasts and webinars for those listening and not watching. He's got Table Life strategically positioned behind him um, to be seen. Um, well, so we'll talk about the book in a minute, sure. but um, just tell us a little bit. I know this kind of flowed from a lot of your doctoral work and your project that you did. What led you to write, kind of study discipleship? <clears throat> I know you said your, your focus was on Jewish context of the New Testament. This flows from that, but is also perhaps a little different. Just kind of tell us how you got interested in this and how it came to be. Yeah, I mean, I think the genesis of it, I always give credit to my mom because she was a big time person of bringing everybody in the family to the table. Um, and then she also hosted when, like I was saying before, we were a military family traveling all over the world. Uh, we would always host people who couldn't be with family for major holidays. And so that idea of hospitality and welcoming people to the table was very formative. Um, the next person I blame for all of this is Alan Roxburgh, actually. Yeah. Uh, we, uh, American Baptists, were doing some, some work with him in a program called Transform by the Spirit. I went to one of his workshops and taught me about dwelling in the word as a, as a Lectio Divina kind of formation practice. But then he had a friend there who talked about um, trying to get to know his neighbors a little bit better. And part of that conversation included um, sitting in the front of his house and getting to know people. And I was mad at him when it was over because I felt convicted <laughs> and I didn't want to sit in the front of my house. I like my backyard. It's safe. It's comfortable. It's where I played wiffle ball. Um, but I felt this 
this challenge to to try and, and get to know my community a little better. And so um, I had just taken this role, transitioned from local church, pastoral type ministry to now working with lots of different congregations. And I was trying to figure out um, how do I connect? You know, I, I'm not, I've always been connected to the local church by being a staff person. How do I connect to a local church by being you know, like everybody else connects to a local yeah. church, you know? And so we, we got to start hanging out with um, about three other couples uh, in the, in the church that were about our age with similar families, things. So kids and, and this sort of stuff. And um, we would sit around, we would have these dinners on Saturday nights, and then we'd go to church together on Sunday morning. And it kind of built this relationship over time. Somebody had this crazy idea of telling our stories um, at hmm. these dinners. And so we started, everybody would take a turn once a, whenever we ate, we didn't eat every single week, but whenever we got together, somebody would tell their story and they were really powerful experiences because it would take 30, 40 minutes, maybe longer. And they would basically explain, you know, who they were, where they came from, how they became a Christian, the struggles they've had with the faith or the church or maybe a calling in life, uh, places they felt close to God, places they've really sometimes even felt abandoned by God or the church and just became very real connections. And then um, that helped us connect to the local church even more deeply because then we had those relationships that yeah. bonded us to the community. Um, and so that was really the genesis of, of how table came to be a thing. And about that same time, I started my going to classes at, for, for my demon and I needed something to write about. And so I started asking Scott and other people about, you know, what, what should I do? And uh, this idea of, of, creating a table fellowship. I kind of had this dual prong part in, in my um, actual demon thesis that centered around if, if table is um, how the early church connected to one another. Um, no, no, back it up. The first question was about uh, siblingship, actually. Hmm. Um, Paul uses um, Adelphoi 217 times in the New wow. Testament. Um, to describe the gathered church, which is way more times than any other term used to, to describe the gathered community called church, even more than ecclesia, more than uh, soma or body or any of these other terms that, that are very, very popular. Um, siblingship was the number one identifier. So I did some study on siblingship and why it was the most important thing. But then the question became, well, how do you develop sibling-like relationships? Hmm. And in the early church, of course, that was one meal at a time. They would gather and tell the story of Jesus around full banquet style meals. And so then that transitioned me into focusing on that. And then that really spoke to me um, because of what I was doing. And so then all those things kind of merged together into this idea. And I worked through it um, a little bit. About that same time, I also moved to a new neighborhood and started, you know, I bought a $10 plastic chair from Walmart, put it in my driveway. <laughs> got to know my neighbors and that has changed my life. I've had everybody just about within line of sight of my, my driveway in my house for dinner now um, in my neighborhood. And it's um, that's a second Avenue of how table has shaped me. And so yeah. it's both the local church, but also it's very practical for, for just like neighborhood or workplace type relationships. And it reminds me of my growing up, I grew up in a small town 
and my grandparents lived a block away <clears throat> and uh, um, she was a local librarian at the school. He ran the Exxon station, my grandpa did, and they had chairs and all of our family lived there just lined up in their front yard in front of their house. And just particularly spring and summer, you just ate dinner and went down to Mama and Papa's and sat in the yard and people would walk by, people would stop on their way home and say hello from that. Now, we had grown up there generationally, so it wasn't like sure. a suburban neighborhood, but uh, still, that's just sweet memories. Um, anyway, that reminds me there was something very deeply theological going on there um, of community building at work. Um, man, that's excellent. Well, tell me, so tell us some about the book. I mean, what what is Table Life? What's in it? What's your hope for it? Yeah, so what, what I hope to do with Table Life is introduce some of these concepts. There, there is the, the first chapter is really just kind of that historical context of the local church um, in, in the scriptures. And also that just kind of that first century, what was going on uh, with meals and how banquets and symposiums were a pretty normal aspect of the world and how Jesus used um, meals as an entry point into the kingdom by just taking something that was very common, eating meals with people. And also very formative, right? Because think about the Jewish tradition, the festival cycles and all these sort of things being life markers for them. Jesus used those things and um, to, to create community rather than being a boundary marker of who's in and who's out and the order of the hierarchy of sitting around the table and, and those sort of things. Jesus took that same idea and made it a very welcoming, very large open table. And that's what confused everybody, <laughs> you know, yeah, cause they're like, yeah. you know, if Jesus would have just ate with religious people, he could have been seen as a religious leader. If he would have just eaten with scallywags and outcasts, they could have put him in that bucket. Um, if he would have eaten just with tax collectors, he could have been labeled as kind of a, a traitor, mm. um, but he ate with everybody. And so they didn't know what bucket to put him in socially. And so when he's doing these things, he's upsetting kind of, religious and social hierarchies and a world that thrived on those things being extremely important identifiers. And so the new identifier became those who gather around the table and do the will of the father are connected to Jesus. Right. And so the new Testament carried that forward. So that's kind of some of the background. That's kind of fun. Um, and then what I focus on are uh, what I call habits of discipleship. It's a, not unique to me, but it is a phrase I enjoy using um, and over spiritual disciplines, because I think that's kind of off-putting for people. Um, I love Dallas Willard and everybody in that field. Um, I read a lot of their stuff, but I like habits of discipleship over spiritual yeah. disciplines and meals become a catalyst then. And so uh, they become a place of gathering. And that's really what the, the, the table life is about is using meals to be a source of discipleship. What I encourage uh, churches or a person in a home to do is to gather people together to read scripture um, for the purpose uh, in the style of dwelling in the word, which is kind of a Lectio Divina style where you read it for the purpose of formation, less than information. And the goal is for everybody to have input into where they feel like they hear the spirit moving in the reading of, of that particular text, whatever it is that you're reading together as a group. Um, and to discuss that together. And then um, the idea of telling your story becomes important. So I got a whole chapter on storytelling and why I like stories and how they're so very important, but also learning how to tell your own story. Um, did you ever go to a church that used to have those Sunday night testimonies? Oh, I led one, man. So 
when I was pastoring, this may be a, a TMI conversation, but I'm in it. So I can't get out of it now. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I got a stomach spot. bug. I got a stomach bug on a Sunday morning when I was pastoring in Marble Falls, Texas. And, you know, medium sized, small, medium sized church. Um, but it was used to having the pastor preach. I mean, you know, like every sure. other church. And I mean, I, I couldn't go. It was the only time in all my years. I just, there's no way I could be there that day. So my sermon was printed out on my desk, ready to go. I texted the chairman of the deacons. I was like, I'm really sick. Um, you can read my sermon. You can read the Sermon on the Mount or do something else. I'm sorry. And so they, they sang a couple songs and did testimony day of just like, where's God moving in your life? And the day I left, like six years later, like someone came up and was like, you know, my favorite day of worship. Remember that day when you just let us tell testimonies? I was like, I didn't let you. I was sick as a dog and I wasn't there. Yeah. And so like someone's like the best day of your pastorate was the day you were sick and didn't show yeah. up. That's kind of what they told me. So yeah, best so, day of your ministry was when you were absent. <laughs> so we did that almost once a year. We kind of created a tradition around it of, yeah. of, of structuring a service of storytelling of where, where has God been present to us, particularly in the last year and, and kind of, yeah, celebrating that of like active memory. So yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm with you. Yeah, so I think that's important. And, and the way you're describing exactly how I'm, I'm going with in, in the storytelling aspect of uh, table life, because um, I think too often I, I've been part of churches that would do Sunday night testimonies and, and that that one grizzled farmer would always get up and, and tell his story about how he became a Christian in high school, yeah. um, which is amazing and important. But where's the growth since then? I mean, he's 65 yeah. years old. Where is Christ working in your life now? And um, that was one of the most tragic conversations I ever had with a parishioner once was uh, he came up to me. I was like saying, you know, we've got to keep learning, you know, these sort of things. It was kind of the purpose of the sermon and growing and, and deepening our discipleship. He said, everything I learned, I learned in sixth grade Sunday school, and I haven't learned a new thing since. And I'm and he was proud of that. Like, like that was like something to be proud of. And um, so so what I think is different from storytelling and maybe a old-fashioned testimony is not just when did you become a Christian, yeah. but where is God working now yeah. and looking for those things, which requires listening, which is yeah. another aspect of, of, of the table experience is that we have to listen to scripture when we dwell in the word. We listen to our fellow table mates tell their stories, which is a grace unto them, really. I mean, there's probably nothing more gratifying in life than knowing that you've been really heard. And so to extend that to another by listening to their story and how uh, and asking good questions, but not interrupting, you know, and just kind of being present in that moment um, becomes a very powerful experience. And so we learn to listen to others and then um, the importance of listening to our context. So where are you in relation to, you know, the world, essentially, you know, where is your neighborhood? Where is your town? Where is your church? Where is your job? you know, and, and how do you engage with those things? Yeah. So learning to listen to all those spaces uh, informs one another because that then informs, of course, how you interpret scripture. Context yeah. matters, right? And your life experience matters that um, when you read texts that tell you about how God is always there for you and yet you felt like maybe it hasn't been the case, uh -huh. you know, or um, places in the scriptures where, you know, um, there's, there's these weird gender stories and, and you're not fitting in, you know, mm -hmm. how, how do you hear that? And so um, that's important. So learning to listen. 
And then uh, the the big one for me is, is is communion. You know, the the whole thing about um, retelling the story of Jesus through communion um, kind of summarizes the whole table experience. Because you listen again to scripture, right? Because that's part of the communion experience. You hear the story again. You 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 look for the presence of God, um, but then you you share in the body and the blood, and uh, and. And I think, you know, I'm a good Baptist. I, I, I'm not, you know, uh, I don't think it's the actual body and blood, but I, I do feel like something is there. Something is happening when we gather where Jesus is host. And, um, and I think those are precious moments. And so, so that's the big challenge, I think, for a lot of people is taking communion in the home. Even for Baptists who yeah. really do believe in the priesthood of the believer yeah. and that anybody can lead communion at any time and participate in it, even alone in your own home, um, taking it not in a sanctuary kind of rattles people. Yeah. Um, and so uh, and then also leading it like maybe you've taken it every first Sunday of the month for 45 years, but you've never led communion. And then suddenly you're doing it in your home with fellow diners. Um yeah. That can be a stretch, and so what the what the book also does is then create uh, how tos. There's an appendix in the back about how to do all of these things, how to do a dwelling exercise, how to do uh, what scriptures that are are a good place to start with dwelling in the Word, um, and how to do them, and then how to lead a communion experience. Um, it's got a little liturgy there that people can follow, so it's a little less stressful. And then how to craft your own story is in there, um, and then there's also kind of a covenant of just like we're listening to people's deepest kind of spiritual journeys. And it's just kind of a way of saying, you know, let's not go gossiping about this later because <laughs> yeah. um, it's being vulnerable requires trust. And so, yeah. so um, man, this is great. So it's really modeled on that new Testament model. What in, in acts two of sort of what they did when they gathered. Yeah, Absolutely. You prayed, you read scripture, you listened to teaching, which might be the storytelling component, and mm -hmm. you ate together and you took communion together. Yeah. Um, and they're full meals. I mean, that's the thing yeah, that yeah. Like, the idea of, of like a, a thimble of Welch's yeah. <laughs> and a Baptist chiclet, you know, yeah. um, that's that didn't happen until like the third century, you know, yeah. when, you know, the church became the dominant part of the culture. And so they had to figure out how to get hundreds of people yeah. access to the bread and the cup. And so they came up with our modern version, at least how the church has practiced communion, but it used to be around full banquet meals. Yeah. And, um, and so that's kind of the model you have. Communion isn't a separate thing you do at the end after the meal. It yeah. is like the blessing of the meal and the experience of it together. Yeah. The whole meal is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, that's intriguing. So we, we've talked about a couple of things, kind of part of it was reaching out to neighbors, which is sort of a mission evangelism focus. We've also kind of what you're talking about, though, is just discipleship, which I know those aren't clearly differentiated lines. They shouldn't be anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so so when you're, as you've practiced this, do you see it more working like for small groups, Sunday schools, kind of church people together to deepen their experience together? Or has it worked better as gather your neighbors for this type of uh, gathering together? H how have you seen it work in different groups? Because I could see those work very differently. The comfort level of those would be very different, I think. I, th I think the approach 
is, is, I mean, I, I do both. Right. So yeah. that's for me, the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> have I seen yeah. it? I've seen it. Yes, of yeah. course, both. Um, but the, the original, like my, the project let's yeah. say going all the way back before table life was a book, uh, was for the local church. Uh, what, what I had discovered doing region ministry was that sometimes churches have conflict. I didn't know that if you knew this, but sometimes they do. Um, and and one of the things that I've I think that's just in Nebraska. At, I think that's just in Nebraska. Yeah. That's probably just Nebraska. <laughs> and and here's why: because we're uh, Nebraska nice and passive aggressive, <laughs> and we let stuff build up over decades. And then the next thing you know, people are hashing stuff out at church meetings that happened 25 years wow. ago. Yeah. Um, and and it dredges up all those wounds at once, and then so now you're dealing with decades of yeah trauma, right? Rather, you know, different disagreements. Okay, so my question then was, um, how can we have better relationships with one another so that we deal with these minor grievances as they come, rather than um, having to deal with this two decades worth of stuff that can split a congregation? And that's where storytelling kind of came in, yeah. a place to be vulnerable and, and kind of hash it. So if you have a better relationship, so one of the things I, I learned at the churches I've done these these table, um, if you want to call it a program with, is that when people go to tell their stories and sit with people is that they've sat in the church together facing the same direction for 30 years, yeah. but they've never turned and looked at the other person in the face and asked them, who are you? Why are you here? Where do you come from? And, and how are you engaged in this community? And so table became a place for, uh, at the time I was calling it welcome to the family table was, was the original program. And uh, it, it really helped connect people to Christ, the church and to one another. That was, that was the tagline. And so, Yes, for the local church, this is what it's for. You can do it in small groups. You can do it as a small group ministry um, where you read the book and go through the stuff and use scriptures. And any of the scriptures will work. Like if your pastor's going through like a preaching campaign, read those texts. Yeah. If you want to focus on something very specific, like I suggest in the back of the book, like the Sermon on the Mount, you can read sections of it or, um, you know, these kind of ideas. And then, um, so, so that's the purpose for the local church is to strengthen the body so that they really know one another. Because if you do table groups and let's say you have eight people um, in a table group. And by the way, this is for all ages, right? My kids participate in table life and they read scripture at these gatherings and stuff. And so it's kids to, to, to people who are, um, you know, whoever can get to a table, right? Yeah. And um and they can then um, discern as a community, right? That's, I think that's the discipleship side of it, that we do a lot of good work with personal discipleship in curriculum, right? Um, but I also think that sometimes we tend to say the best disciple of Jesus is the person who knows the most about the Bible, um, not necessarily the person who lives out the way of Jesus best. Yeah. And so then, um, and also with that individual discipleship, I'm a better, I'm becoming a deeper follower of Jesus. 
What I want to see is whole churches be a, a discipleship unit, right? Mm. A discipled body of mm. believers as a community. Um, and so that's what Table does for the local church. For, for the neighborhood experience, um, the trick is not to do bait and switch, <laughs> right? Is be honest. Why, why are you meeting your neighbors? And, and you can start out with just dinner, um, just hearing them, getting to know them. Why did you move to the neighborhood? Why are you here? This is why we're here. Where'd you come from? You know, those normal get to know you conversations. Um, but at some point, if you want to use it as evangelism, you need to tell them, all right, tonight I'm going to invite you to dinner, but I want to tell you about my faith journey, right? So that they're not coming in and then getting like amweyed, right? And so <laughs> they know what they're getting into. Um, and sometimes it just happens naturally. You yeah. tell your story. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's going to be part of your story. What I've discovered in my neighborhood, as far as evangelism goes and discipleship is that um, I have become a place for people to enter into discipleship because when Sunday morning happened before COVID, my car and one other car were the only ones moving in my oh, street. Yeah. And now people call me and talk to me. They call me PG, uh, Pastor Greg <laughs> in my neighborhood. And, uh, and that's cool because, yeah. you know, they know that about me. Yeah. But they also know I'm very human. And so they get to see all those sides. And I think that's cool. It's like, yeah. I'm not some kind of like pedestal pastor to them. I'm a neighbor who follows Jesus and they know that it's very clear yeah. and obvious. And so that becomes a space for me to share when needed. And sometimes as they're going through grief and pain, they call me and we talk about it and I pray for them. And that's been kind of an entry point for them, I think, to either reconsider the church if they've left. Some of them in my neighborhood are, are like that, you know, former church. And then some maybe never have been part of one. Yeah. So this becomes a place for them to say, hey, if Christians are like that, that's, that's not too bad. That's pretty yeah. normal. <laughs> well, that man, that's really helpful to know. I mean, it's I just am pretty resistant and allergic now to the term program, as I think many of us are of a, a, you know, a prepackaged box you received and unloaded. So it's more of a a theology and an approach that in its fullness might be this, but you take people where they are. And the important part is getting around, looking at one another, investing in a relationship together through some intentional time and figuring out the comfortable way, you know, regard wherever your, your audience happens to be. Um, You know, one of the things I'm increasingly interested in is how even small groups so often are aimed at supporting the Sunday big service, right? So even kind of, we do some bait and switches even with ourselves and how like, or what I might call like a micro expression of church, which is what we might refer to this, uh, a table group, a table life group, something like that. What a church would look like that if that, if most is aimed to create those sort of conversations and discipleship experiences that build one another and your Sunday morning experience becomes more about mission, vision together, going to serve. Um, if I want, I feel sometime we might've have our importances inverted. <laughs> and, uh, and this, I just love this idea of something that anyone can do uh, we did it a lot in our church in various ways. What we would do as a question is we would do, we did a series of questions on um, why did you come, as we were trying to figure out who we were as a church and read rediscover some things, we would get together over dessert in neighborhoods and ask one or two key questions at a time that got people telling their stories. 
and man, it was just transformative. Um, and, and we realized more and more that as you write in your book, and as you said, the table is the symbol for Christian living that we are really given by Jesus is this foot washing and the table or two of how we're supposed to live together. And so often we get away from that. Um, yeah. So give us some stories. How has this gone well where you've seen it work well? I mean, you've told us some of yours in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, so at the church level, um, the, the congregation that, that I've, I've that I've, congregations that I've worked with, um, the big thing for them is, is been that, oh man, I've really gotten to know my fellow congregants. Yeah. Um, and then it's also become this. So I keep talking about discipleship because it's so important is that these are foundational life dis- disciplines right? The listening and discerning with others, right? Yeah. In a world full of division where we don't listen well, we come with pre-packaged ideas and conclusions to a conversation. Mm-hmm. To sit somebody at a, or sit with somebody at a table and hear their life and hear that nuance um, is, is a growth experience for us. But learning to listen and learning to discern as a community, I think, has been huge for our churches because, um, you know, they get to really know each other and they understand where they're coming from. And they say, well, at least I understand why they're making this pitch for a ministry or fighting against yeah. not participating in this ministry or whatever, you know, and, and it's rooted in a place of relationship then and not just, well, you know, if they would just get on board, everything would be okay. You know, it's like they're hearing things, they're praying, they're also reading scripture, they have life experience that has brought them to this discernment. Um, and once we pull all that together, we might still make a same choice, but we might make it better. And it might have more longevity and strength, because now we know why the Spirit's moving all of us in this direction as a community. Um, so I think that's been helpful. And in the neighborhood level, um, you know, there's, there's some fun stories of, of uh, my introduction to the listening chapter is I heard it at the grapevine, right? Yeah. This, um, my farm, my, my next door neighbors, they, they have a, a farm. Well, it's not a farm. It's a big garden, vegetable garden. Right. <laughs> and um, everybody in the community and everybody in our cul-de-sac basically goes to that grapevine at some point. Yeah. And um, what's come out of all these meals and stuff is a, prayer and concern for one another that even now I, for me, the biggest one is that there was a, a, a family who's kind of connected to church, but in a, they kind of went sort of way. Um, but now they're praying for other people mm. in, in the neighborhood. And so they're deepening their discipleship. Yeah. And then we've recently had uh, one of my neighbor's um, mother-in-law passed away and um, he got his family to Mexico and back in order to participate in that funeral and those sort of things. And we were all there to help support him and the family because we would have not known that was happening if you're just going in and pushing your garage door button every day, but because we're in relation with one another, we knew that was happening. We could come alongside the family and support them both with prayer and encouragement and going over and visiting with them. And, and then also a a little bit of financial support to, to get them there and back. And so none of that's church, right? I mean, that's church, that's community happening at the end of our street together. 
And um, we are bearing witness to the fellowship of, and the presence of Christ by doing those sort of things together. And honoring the Spirit's movement in your neighborhood, right? That the Spirit yeah. has preceded you there, creating relationships and trusting the Spirit will do what the Spirit will do. And that's, I'm sure that's the scary part of this for some is you yeah. lose a lot of control when you just sort of sit down at a table and open it up. <laughs> what do you yeah. think? What are you sharing? Uh, but and it's very also, slow. I yeah, mean, yeah. I have not planted a church in my hometown, but I feel like it's church every time I pull into my driveway. I mean, yeah. there's a community there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that um, other than two families, you know, I don't know many of them have reconnected to a local congregation. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe there's maybe there is a gap here that I need to work on, um, but certainly that's my goal is for everybody connected to a yeah. local church and not not pretend like well without the congregation without the local body you're you're yeah. full i don't believe that you got to be connected to a local congregation i believe that firmly i'm very baptist in that way <laughs> but um i also can't push that because i don't want to push them away right yeah. and no, so the table is the entry point into the kingdom it's lived out in the context of the local church right now there's still table people but even if you read the gospels in the new Testament, sometimes it takes time for them to move from the table to a yeah. congregational kind of concept. No, that's exactly it. You're working on a different time frame or different conception of time. Essentially. Yeah, This is not a six weeks to a yeah. bigger church program for sure. Well, you're trusting, you're trusting the spirit of God to work as a spirit of God will. And all we're kind of receiving as much as we're giving in that. Yeah. Um, I know we're coming near the end of time. I know you included some in the book that the book got delayed from last spring and right. now it's coming out, but you included some kind of on maybe, I think maybe virtual space or something like that sure. for those that are not able to gather or just as an added wrinkle for the future. Now that we do have all these new zoom muscles we didn't have before. Um, what advice would you give or what help helpful uh, hints would you give to doing this virtually? Yeah. Um, I like that idea. Zoom muscles. <laughs> That's new to me. Um, yeah. So for me, actually, um, if you read the introduction, like that preface part, it's signed Greg Bamula, Bellevue, Nebraska, March, 2020. It's like, <laughs> That's when it all came apart. Right. And so, <laughs> um, yeah, it would, the book was delayed. Um, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it's hard to gather together safely. Yeah. Um, up until just just now, really, as we're making our way out, and still, those who are listening, gather safely, <laughs> wisely. Right? I'm not, I'm not here to push you into danger or disease. So, um, yeah, I, I was, I actually am heavily dependent upon Angela Garrell's book, uh, Always On. Um, I, I read through that, um, and, and remembering, uh, I, I wrote this chapter kind of early early COVID experience and let's um, looking for creative ways to be the community. Cause there's a huge difference between consuming religious content and being a community. And with everything being online, it's pretty easy to yeah. get your favorite preacher, your favorite worship team, your, you know, your favorite podcasts, whatever, and then kind of create your own, content absorbing Christian experience, right? And this has always been true. I mean, it just seems amplified because it's online, but the reality is uh, you could do that by going to a physical church 
yeah. just take what you want and then never engage in any Christ-like behavior the rest of the time, right? And so it just feels like it's new. It's not. It's yeah. the same story. Um, but I, I think that we can use things like Zoom, Facebook, social media, Instagrams, whatever, to build and strengthen communities um, with always the caveat that the internet is insane. <laughs> so be careful what platforms you use because they're not all whatever you would call family friendly. Um, but you can use those platforms wisely. I, I know like, uh, like fresh expressions uses a lot of yeah. kind of these ideas, like maybe gaming church, you know, where they get gamers together and they use like the platform Twitch, I think it's called, um, you know, you play video games with people in a common platform, but then you can also use that to make friends in those places and share the gospel. And it becomes like a digital table. Um, the same for all these other things. You can practice all these experiences, this listening, this dwelling, this, you can do that online. And, and some of the platforms are more friendly to maybe the specific disciplines that are mentioned in table life, but there are other spiritual disciplines that we need to practice online. Like, yeah good, honest conversation, good, honest listening. Um, and then, you know, extend that Christ likeness into these platforms, because I think some, for some reason, when we got a screen between us and the conversation, we suddenly feel like we can do things and say things we would not say to somebody if their physical presence was before us. Um, learning to, to extend that grace into these digital yeah. platforms. I, I, th I think that's a huge major Christian discipline that we need to practice, especially as North Americans yeah. in our context at this time. I agree. I, I have found, and for me, I think the caveat is if there's some pre-existing relationship, I, we've had, I've had some incredibly deep spiritual experiences, great conversations on zoom, uh, with people I've never met before, it hasn't been quite like that. I think there's a way to work yeah. through that. But yeah, I, I think we've seen some things from this pandemic regarding yeah. the virtual discipleship that we can take into the rest of church life, particularly in churches that are not community churches, churches that people are driving in from, people would travel a lot. There's a lot of possibility to engage differently um, and even to, to start new relationships, that's helpful, yeah. but, um, that's really helpful. I, I think the other big thought for me on all that is that it's the internet or the digital platforms, new media platforms that they're not an other space. Mm. They are in fact, spaces we live and dwell yeah. and exist and work and play and everywhere else. Right. They're just as real as your softball team. Yeah. Right. Or your church location or your neighborhood. And so I think that's been the kind of the theological wake up on this is that it's not just a, a media or a medium to get the message out as, as like a neutral spot, Yeah, but it is a lived digital life. Mm. Of course we have to be Christians in that space too, and create community in those spaces. And so that's kind of a stretch. And I think that's one of the things that, our zoom muscles are going to help us accomplish. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Well, y'all, for those that are listening, that can't see the book is table life an invitation to everyday discipleship can be found on Amazon. I think it's available on Kindle now and the paperback will be out very soon. Is that right? It's all out now. It's, it's all officially out. Okay. live. Officially I'm so excited. Live. Okay. Excellent. Oh, that's a lot of hard work. 
um, and a lot of good ministry. And I'm excited to see uh, where that will go. It sounds like it's great for leaders, but also very, very practical um, to help others follow this, uh, whether your whole church does it or you want to do this in your neighborhood. Um, Greg, would you have a final, we ask this of all of our guests, a final benediction, a final blessing you might offer for those uh, watching and listening today? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just do one more promo is that if you sure. want to learn more about the book, you can go to table-live, uh, table-life.org. And there's all the links to all the distributors that are carrying the book and then ways to contact me. If you would like to know more about how to do this, I'd be happy to walk with your congregation through this. So the final benediction would, would be very simple in that um, I would love to join you at the table. May the Lord bless you there where God calls, where Christ is host and where the spirit leads always. Greg, I've been thankful to reconnect with you the past few years and work with you. Um, I'm thankful for this book and the conversation today, friend. Thank you for taking the time. And thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. All right, have a great day. Bye, y'all.